Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I am half Asian and a lifelong cricket fan and Rafiq's testimony brought me to tears. I'm thankful that he has the bravery to come forward. That is the opening line of one of many moving emails that we've been very grateful to receive in the last 24 hours that sums up the mood perfectly. This is a special podcast reacting to one of England cricket's darkest ever days, certainly in my lifetime at least. Uh, I don't think words can do justice um, to the power and bravery of Azim Rafiq's testimony to the DCMS committee yesterday, he outlines experiences of racism, discrimination and his battle to have his story heard with incredible articulacy and thoughtfulness. I'm Yaz Ryan and with me today uh, to try and make sense of everything that was said yesterday is the managing editor of Wisden.com, Bed Gardner, the magazine editor of Wisden Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon and the editor-in-chief of Wisden Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker. It would obviously be Great to have Taha on, but he's having a well-earned day off. Um, but you can hear his thoughts in many of our previous pods, uh, but also in yesterday's Guardian Today and Focus podcast, as well as this week's episode of The Final Word. I was saying before we recorded this, we've had some difficult podcasts in the last 18 months, but I think this one tops the lot. First, I'm going to quickly run through the headlines from yesterday before we get into our discussion. So Azim Rafiq, a former England under-19 captain and once upon a time Yorkshire's youngest ever captain, spoke of racist language he encountered at the club, including terms aimed at his Pakistani heritage. He said this language is used constantly and was never stamped out during his time at the club. He said that those comments left him feeling isolated and humiliated and that racist comments went unchallenged by teammates and coaching staff. He said that the use of such language was so common it became the norm and people at the club didn't think it was wrong. He said that the atmosphere at the club became toxic after Jason Gillespie's departure as coach when former captain Andrew Gale became head coach and England cricketer Gary Balance was elevated to the captaincy. He recounted the time when a former Yorkshire and Hampshire first-class cricketer pinned him down and force-fed him wine at Barnsley Cricket Club when Rafiq, a practising Muslim, was 15. 
He criticised the PCA's handling of the case, saying that their inaction was one of the things that hurt him most. He criticised the Yorkshire leadership, saying that they have no excuse for the way they handled his allegations and that he made it perfectly clear what he experienced and what he felt. He said that Yorkshire's attitude changed the moment he made a complaint of bullying against Tim Bresnan in 2017. He claimed that before that, board minutes showed that he was being talked about as a future leader of the club and after that he was immediately labelled a troublemaker. He claimed that current Somerset bowler Jack Brooks started calling India batter Cheteshwar Pajara Steve because it was an easier name to pronounce. That nickname then became widely used not only by the club but by some media outlets. He also alleged that Gary Balanced used the name Kevin to describe anyone of colour that this was an open secret among the England dressing room and people in the game knew about it. He also alleged that Alex Hales named his dog Kevin because it was black. He said that England captain Joe Root was a good man and he never engaged in racist language, but he was Gary Balanced's housemate and was involved in a lot of the nights out where Rafiq was called a packy. Rafiq said he might not remember it, but it shows how normalised it is if a good man like him didn't see it for what it was. Perhaps the most harrowing part of the testimony was him describing the period around his son's stillbirth. He said that the day after losing his son, Martin Moxon, the club's director of cricket, ripped the shreds out of him and that he'd never seen Moxon speak to anyone like that at the club. He described his treatment at the club as inhuman. He explained that he wet, how he went through every mechanism, how he wept in front of the inclusivity and diversity board members, but still nothing happened. He also claimed that David Lloyd had sent a private message to someone with the intention of discrediting him. Lloyd has since issued an apology to Rafiq. Rafiq also told the story of how, after an interview he did with Sky outlining his experiences, former England bowler Matthew Hoggard called him up to apologise for anything that he might have done or said. Rafiq told the hearing how thankful he was for that call. He said that it was never about individuals. He said his focus was on institutions. He said that he wanted to be the voice of the voiceless. He said that his career was ended by racism. And he said that he doesn't want his son to go anywhere near cricket. Phil, before we get into what should happen going forward, what was your initial, I guess, emotional reaction to, to yesterday? Uh, moving and devastating all at once. Uh, I feared that as he might be overawed, uh, but I thought he was superb. I also was a bit worried that he may have been sort of dr- drilled so much by his lawyer that it might come across as slightly staged. It wasn't. It was sincere and heartfelt and all the more uh, powerful and and heartbreaking as a consequence. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Uh, the line that he lost his career to racism is hard to argue with. It's hard to dispute and crushing for the the man and crushing for the game. That was pretty unbearable to watch. Uh, Yorkshire, the claim of institutional racism against Yorkshire is, is no longer even really a question. The bigger question now is how far that term applies to the game at large. Um, uh, Roger Hutton himself even acknowledged Roger Hutton, who was chairman up until two weeks ago, acknowledged that that claim of institutional racism is is impossible to shake from 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 Yorkshire. Uh, I think we'll see over a hundred players and more come forward before the year is out. Um, I think it was a bad day for the ECB. I thought it was a bad day for Tom Harrison, who was exposed 
for the superciliousness that creeps out in his public dealings. Uh, he riled up the MPs from the start and could barely contain his anger when he was uh, interrupted for probably the first time in 10 years. Um, uh, and other institutions that are so central to the the, um, the power structure of English cricket were also dragged through it quite right too. You know, the PCA had a bad day. The PCA's um, in many ways a laudable organisation, but in this particular instance... In this particular case, it's been shown to be toothless and rather hamstrung by its own remit. It was showing as much pastoral support, in inverted commas, for the perpetrators as the victim. Um, in the end, a day that cricket probably needs to suffer. Um, and I was saying to somebody last night, if there's one good thing to come from it is that the game has accidentally stumbled probably against its instincts into the vanguard of probably the biggest struggle of our lifetime really um and thus by sort of forcing itself into a confrontation with itself that may yet bring about some kind of ripple effect into the real world um yeah that's the best i can do joe on rafiq himself a lot of what he said yesterday was already out in the public domain, but seeing him speak, fighting back the tears, you got a sense of how difficult it actually has been and how difficult it is to actually speak out. How how impressed were you just on a human level of, of how he conducted himself yesterday, how he didn't focus on individuals, how he went for institutions um, and how he remained uh, extraordinarily calm throughout the whole hour and a half hearing? Uh, enormously so uh, and you could certainly see why Yorkshire in a previous time identified him as a as a future leader and a, a fantastic captain who could be a leader of men um, we saw all that yesterday um, I think it's Tar Ta said on the podcast a, a little while back that every time you think you've got a grip on this story something else comes along and floors you and I didn't necessarily naively I didn't think yesterday would be particularly revelatory I thought we've covered this story so closely for so long I kind of thought we knew the details. I thought there'd be clarification. I thought it'd be a summary for people who didn't know the story. But there were so many points yesterday, particularly during Rafiq's testimony, that just floored me. Um, and it was hugely important that he had his day because we know that Yorkshire and, and others in the kind of darker recesses of social media have tried to discredit him throughout. And, you know, it's quite easy to portray someone as a as an angry man with a chip on his shoulder on Twitter because that is pretty much what everyone is on, on Twitter. That's how they appear. Uh, he's done interviews, but again, most of them have been written. It's, it's, it's not necessarily easy to get a kind of a, a take on his personality. And, and yesterday we saw that he was basically the, 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 the perfect person to be delivering his testimony. He did it with such eloquence. Obviously, he was emotional at times. How could you not be when you're talking about the, the death of your son and the, and the way that Yorkshire reacted to it? But for the most part, he was he was very calm. Um, and it just goes to show how important it is for people to have the time and space to actually give their version of events, not there just be this kind of fight on social media or in, or in the media at large. And he came across as an utterly believable um, well, witness or, or, or victim. Um, meanwhile, all the people who have discredited him um, were nowhere to be seen. A lot of them were asked to come and speak to the committee. If they had nothing to hide, if they genuinely thought they'd done nothing wrong, why weren't they there? Well, this was an opportunity to 
to say their piece, to at least defend themselves or to say, sure, that's true, but those bits aren't. But they didn't face the committee yesterday. So, yeah, all in all, I thought he, he did a he did a stunningly impressive um, delivery over, I mean, what, it was past an hour and a half by the end. Um, he, he must have been absolutely exhausted. Um but it, it didn't. It didn't show. I thought it was yeah, a, a wonderful piece of uh, oratory, really. Mm. Ben, from from our point of view, we've been close to the story since the beginning. I thought an element of yesterday was was watching the incredulity of this group of politicians and an imperfect group of politicians, sure, but people who aren't as close as it to us, just in in disbelief at what's been allowed to happen over the last eighteen months, and actually. That was probably quite a good thing for us, seeing that actually, from an outside perspective, what has gone on is is just outrageous. Yeah, I think that's true, and it's also because it's such a, a, a huge thing. Like because there's so many different things contained within it. There's obviously there's 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 racism, there's bullying, there's the, the you know the treatment uh, when his his son was stillborn. There's the uh, uh, you know the, the treatment afterwards at the hands of the PCA, and, and then there's the investigation itself and how and how botched that was. And from 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 the ECB and from Yorkshire, there's and it's it's kind of hard to almost like keep all of that within view when considering it in a way and what Rafiq's kind of hour and a half hour and three course testimony now you do is like to actually have all of that having been kind of like seared into you so like so devastatingly uh in like obviously a, a long space of time but a short space of time as well uh and uh and I think that was the the the, the impression that I got and yeah so so the the, the MPs that because because they would have had time to you know to absorb quite a lot of the details that Rafiq would have said as well they were they were privy to the report which obviously still not been released publicly uh but e- even you know as joe says reading what's been written down or what's been given in a testimony uh it just can't compare to to how you know how amazing rafiq was yesterday and i was, I was thinking that you know it's easy to think like how much english cricket has kind of lost from him you know dropping out of the game uh that you know this this was you know a, a future watch captain a, a, a brilliant very promising off spinner as well but then you look at actually what they might almost gain from this in terms of what he's exposed already but you know looking at how he's handled himself through this whole thing the incredible strength of character he has the courage the bravery to come through everything that he has and to and to and to, and to still not be vengeful at all there is someone there who you think has a has a you know a role to play for a, a, a long time in you know fighting this problem and it's going to be a long fight as well hmm um, as I mentioned at the start of the show, we've had uh, loads of emails that have come in, uh, all, all of which have been brilliant. Uh, this Stunning. Really very brilliant. moving as well, um, actually. And there was, what, seven, eight, nine within an hour last night. coming as plenty more this morning as well. Um, this is one from Manish, who says, I listen every week without fail, and as a British-Asian cricket fanatic, it saddens me that my first question to the pod is in regards to the deeply dark subject of Azim Rafiq's treatment by his fellow teammates. This is the rising to the surface of an issue that's been bubbling away underneath in English cricket for a while. The Overton and Robinson stories come to mind, as well as the fact that Azim's story has been going on without action for so long. My question goes beyond the county game for now and looks more internationally. How should this reflect on or affect the England team? English fans were more than happy to give the Aussie stick for Sandpaper Gate, which ruined the image of Cricket Australia for bringing the game into disrepute. Surely the brushing under the carpet of blatant racism is much, much worse than that, especially when it goes back to the days of Vaughan. Is the wearing of T-shirts with anti-discrimination messages and 
taking the knee just empty platitudes now, especially given that whilst that was being done, this story was still very much alive, albeit with only a minority of people shouting about it. Don't get me wrong, I wholeheartedly support taking the knee. I'm just questioning the reason behind it being done by this team and this board. There's one thing symbolically showing solidarity because it seems like the right thing to do and another to actually show solidarity with people of colour through action. Thank you for putting so much time and effort into the story whilst painful. It's the most important moment in English cricket probably ever and all of the Wisden staff are giving it the time it deserves. Sorry that this ended up being really long. No need to apologise at all. I think Manish touches on a potentially very large part of what Rafiq said yesterday, the claim that two members of the England team not that long ago were openly using the name Kevin to refer to all people of colour. No England player has spoken to the media since the hearing, but there's some very difficult questions that some of the more experienced players will will have to answer. Did they know this was going on? And if so, what what their response should be? Phil, what do you think... (laughs) What do you think is going to happen in that regard? And to Manish's question, this is much, much bigger than using sandpaper. It's certainly absolutely bigger than that, which was the mother of all overreactions. Um, I find that easier to talk about than this. Uh, My instinct, what will happen is with regards to the current England setup is actually not very much. That's my instinct. Um, the, 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 The amount of jeopardy at the top of the English game regarding the England team and the England captain and senior members is so vast and so immense that I can't see, um, you know, heads rolling as such in whatever context that amounts to. I just can't see that. Um, There didn't appear to be an enormous amount of appetite around the Joe Root element of the story. Um, And this could be simply people trying to preserve the best cricketer in England who's two weeks out from an Ashes Test match. There could be an element of that. I don't think Rafiq gives a shit about that. No, sure. And there was one particularly trite question about the Ashes towards the end of that. I mean, my God, how tinnier can you become? But anyway, that's by the by. Um, I, I think the Root story in particular, without wanting to focus on him overwhelmingly, but he was in, he was referenced in this. Uh, and that statement, as I've said on this show before, opens you yourself up to hypocrisy and to uh, to having lied, or at the very least, having selectively forgotten. Um, so I, on that, Rafiq did say that it's entirely possible that because it because those words don't have that meaning for root, that he just doesn't remember it. Yeah, and this is what I was going to come to, and I think there is a fair sort of intellectual reading of that particular instance or series of instances from years back with Joe Root being simply one one pawn in the game on another piss-up, on another toxic, macho-driven, you know, alpha-driven night out. Who's, who's the big dog? Who's the one? Who's the one who's going to shout the loudest? And I can well imagine him just simply being another part of that increasingly unpalatable and unedifying but very real reality of sporting dressing rooms um and so do we get to a point where he has to be stripped of his titles stripped of his role in the England side I don't think we get to that point because there has to be I think in the end an acknowledgement that this is a structural thing and Rafiq said this a number of times and you can't credit him enough for having said that. 
This is a structural thing. It's not really about specific individuals. I think what you will find with somebody like Joe, who, and Rafiq is not playing a line there. He is a good bloke. There's no question he's a good bloke. Um, and his behaviour and, you know, as the focal point of English cricket for a number of years, I would say speaks for itself. But what you will find, I think, is an, internally with him, there will be a reckoning. And externally within the team structure, I think there is a reckoning taking place. But this is a this is a recent thing. This is three years ago. This story would have been irrelevant, and we it's been proved because it it was suppressed in twenty eighteen. It was suppressed. The story at Essex was suppressed. This whole cultural confrontation that the game is having to have as a reflection of, the, of society at large is a very recent thing, and so inevitably you're going to have all kinds of ugliness that's going to come out all kinds of historical ugliness that retains echoes of the here and now. But in the corridors of, or rather in the higher echelons of English cricket, in the, in the, the senior players, they happen to believe that Morgan and Root and Stokes and Butler are wrestling with these, these um, historical and current scandals I think they are genuinely reckoning with them. And I don't think they are as cynical as simply putting on a black T-shirt with a crappy slogan on and thinking that that's job done. I genuinely don't think that. Call me out for being naive and stupid by all means. But for what it's worth, I think the game is finally decades, centuries too late reckoning with these fundamental questions. Um... And so I would rather these these power brokers that I happen to believe in are inside the fight, recognising the hypocrisy of, of past behaviour, recognising how they've turned blind eyes and sat on their hands and all the rest of it, and being open about that. As I've said about Joe Root, sorry to go on, if I, as I said about Joe Root last week, I thought that statement was badly, badly worded and badly advised, and I think he would have actually garnered more respect by being more honest about his lived experience. Because I think people would understand that. I think people, not just in sports dressing rooms where it's ramped up, but just in society generally, I think people will understand the challenges that individuals face when confronted with structural racism and structural prejudice and bigotry. How do you become the person that solves that problem, that trailblazes through it? It takes very, very, very... There are very few characters open and able to do it, as in Rafiq is one of them. Uh, yeah, I think... It's Sorry e about that. It's easy to to it's tempting to to frame this in a sense of progress and positive action, and that and all this has allowed this to come forward. But I think it's really important to remember how this story was broken in the first place, and that that's not necessarily to tap to give um, Taha another nod, although he has done fantastic work. But this essentially came out by accident. This wasn't a player who was emboldened to come forward by positive action that he'd seen at the ECB or in cricket in general. This was a bloke giving an interview about something completely different who, as he said yesterday, got emotional when all this came flooding out. So, and I do think if he, if he wasn't speaking to a British Asian journalist, someone who felt comfortable talking about these issues with, then there's a very good chance he would have never have said those things. They wouldn't have seen the light of day. Um, his testimony wouldn't have been heard. No one would have been held accountable and, and business as usual at Yorkshire. And that's that's a scary thought. We we can think this is this is brilliant, this is the, this is our time we're living in, this is progress. But in many ways this was just a, a very uh 
important and useful accident. Um, so if the ECB are looking at this thinking, well, this is this is excellent. This is us making progress. We're doing good things. Well, they've had nothing to do with this. They've had nothing to do with this whatsoever. Um, this is up until this point been been one man. Um, and we're now starting to see the ripple effect with Maurice Chambers at Essex and the other stories that are coming out. And as Phil says, there'll be there'll be many, many more. Yeah. And I think also just with, with, with the, the England dressing room question, I think, F- F- Phil, I agree with you that it's not as simple as, you know, did Root hear this thing? Okay, then he has to not be England captain anymore. Or did Root not hear this thing? Okay, then he's fine. And the whole point of what Rafiq's saying is there needs to be room for, you know, people to grow and learn and apologise and for progress to be made. But that that isn't just that, like that that needs to still happen, basically. Like there, there does need to be an acknowledgement from within that England dressing room of exactly, like, I think it needs to be pretty clearly detailed out, to be honest, what, what was said, what the extent of it was, where the targets were players in the dressing room, what steps have been made since to, you know, to correct that, to, to, to make it right with, with those individuals. And I, you know, as much as I agree and, you know, Rafiq made, you know, clear that he thinks Root is a good man, uh, I don't have 100% faith more in the ECB than the individuals themselves that they will take the right course with that. Because as we saw with the ECB yesterday, I'm, I kind of feel like Tom Harrison... Uh, especially went in there with the view of let's kind of get through this and uh, you know take up our allotted time while saying absolutely as little as possible and their whole process with anti-racism basically and with anti-discrimination is to act through uh, you know making statements wearing t-shirts sort of uh, almost like it's a a, a PR and a comms thing they want to seem like they're doing the right thing and then actually worry about doing the right thing later down the line. Uh, and 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 so I worry that they will uh, that there'll be you know a statement from Root or from Silverwood that you know put out maybe even without a press conference saying like uh, Azim's testimony was very hard to hear and it has given us a lot to reflect on the ingestion room or something rather than actually detailing with 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 what's a pretty serious thing there was a uh, you know a racist nickname being used in the dressing room like within the last ten years that is that is a like that that is something that needs to be confronted head on as, and as much as there are structural things as well there are also individual questions to be asked and if those aren't answered then what we've seen with this story is that any attempts to obfuscate and to obscure the, the you know the, the truth and, and to kick the can down the road and hope it goes away have not worked and that will develop into a bigger problem for the England team as well as for English cricket I think yeah well firstly brilliantly said and very persuasive um uh my totally eyeballs are on this for sure and quite rightly so um morgan oh morgan gave an interesting um post-match interview after the the end of the t20 stuff and he said um i i love catching this team i love working with these individuals because we are trying to do something new trying to do something unusual and he wasn't talking about you know death bowling he was talking and he kept referencing on and off the pitch. Off the pitch, we are trying to do something important here. Um, we all sat around in 2019 and absolutely recognised the significance of his post-match interview regarding Adil and so on. And we all gloried in that truly multicultural cricket team that won that World Cup and emboldened by it all said how, what a great reflection of progressive modern Britain that was. And other people said it too. Gareth Southgate said it. Other Many people said it and acknowledged it. And it felt like the right and, and proper thing to say at the time. Um, those 
those impressions have not necessarily been reversed by what's being revealing revealed this week uh, but what what we are waiting for is the definitive response the definitive statement the joint statement and the openness and a, a preparedness to have questions asked from journalists and so on from all the big player power brokers in English cricket who incidentally call their own shots. I know what you're saying, but Tom Harrison has no influence over what they say. Um, and we've, again, talked about that before as well. There is a schism between employee and employer and the England dressing room is populated by big, big characters. Uh, if they stay silent and if they hide behind a rather limp, meaningless individual statement, then I totally agree with you. But my, my gut says that they will recognise that we are living in an absolutely seismic moment right here and now and that we will see some kind of response that at least begins to salve uh, some of these wounds. Mm. Ben Jones asks, what needs to happen from here? I've been thinking about this quite a lot in the last 24 hours, partly because it was just heartbreaking seeing uh, a brown man just five years older than me have his career so obviously ripped apart because of his the colour of his skin. And there are, there are a few questions that I keep coming back to. That And this might sound overly simplistic, but I keep coming back to them. One, why, why have so many people been accused of either using racially charged or outright racist language? Two, how, how could Yorkshire have handled this so badly? And three, and this is obviously linked, why, why in 2021 does English cricket have such a problem with bringing through professional cricketers from minority backgrounds. And I think it's all to do with insiders wanting to preserve their status of power as insiders. Um, and people who are outsiders, people from working class backgrounds, ethnic minorities, women, people from the LGBT community. Cricket is not obviously for them. It's still a very white, middle-class, heterosexual male sport. And too many insiders for too long haven't tried to welcome in those outsiders. So a lot of the comments directed to Rafiq, not all of them, obviously, but I think a lot of them stem from more ignorance and hate, though obviously some of those, some of them are in that category as well. Um, and not enough effort was made by people around Azim to be sensitive to the differences in him, their teammate who was born in and lived in Pakistan for 10 years. And then the ineptitude of York's investigation was primarily through the overprotection of those insiders. Four or five months ago, I was on, I was on the street in Notting Hill um, and someone shouted something racist towards me uh, when I was wearing an England shirt after an England Euros game with an England flag around me. There's a clear implication of you are not one of us, uh, which I find quite funny because I'm very confident in my Englishness and some of my friends joke that I'm the most English person they know. Um, but the implication there is you are not one of us. And I think on to Ben's question, what happens going forward? It's leadership. And what you were talking about the English dressing room is really interesting. Um, because I think it's been interesting seeing how powerless the ECB and former Yorkshire chair Roger Hutton claimed they were at time yesterday, that they actually can't really do as much as they want to almost. And people across the board from within the England dressing room, but also right down to your club dressing room, need to call out discrimination for what it is across the board. There's a question yesterday from Matt Borman that I thought was really good about, um, should we view the level of segregation in club cricket as a failure? And I don't think it's quite as simple to say that's a clear yes. 
if you play for a predominantly white team as I do, I think you need to make it more. You need to make more of an effort to make our opponents welcome who play for a predominantly Asian club and make and make sure they feel welcome in your league. And I speak from experience of not doing that myself. And I think it's just about it's it's it might sound overly simplistic, but it's just about everybody at every level being as welcoming as possible and calling stuff out. The example of Root is fascinating. Root calls uh, Rafiq calls him a good man, but also has said that he's deeply hurt from what he said the other day. Moving forward is allowing space for for, for stuff like what Matthew Hoggard did and and saying that I I've got this wrong and coming forward and being honest. Um, we've got to move past the the t-shirts. Um, they're they're completely meaningless and this is I think I honestly think this is everyone in English cricket's problem and everyone in English cricket's got to do something about it. It's not you you can't rely on the power structures. We now know how endemic it is and the best example of what to do is what Azim Rafik has done. He's come out, called it out for what it is. And Ben, you were making the point before we start recording, you don't actually need that many good people to change the the, the atmosphere of a of a institution. The example literally at Yorkshire of things change after Jason Gillespie left. Well, this is the thing, especially with Yorkshire, and I guess we'll come on to them as a club more in a little bit, but it's it's easy to look at, or it's, it's, it's very tempting to look at something like that, and it's correct in some ways to see that, you know, there had to be so many people who stayed silent, basically, for this to be allowed to continue. But I guess the flip side to that, which is depressing and awful, the flip side to that is that actually if one or two of those people uh, in, in, you know, in the right positions don't stay silent, then that, like kind of not, not nips in the bud, but stops it where it is. And, and with, with Jason Gillespie there, you know, you have, a, again, a, a good man who's, who's, who's head coach, who's, uh, who's not going to stand for that kind of language being used. And the players there will quite quickly recognise that and, and, not, and, and stop using that language, basically. And, and, and if you have, like, so the, the right people in positions of powers can actually make quite a big difference within something. So you can look, it's, it's easy to like, what, what difference can, you know, can one person make when it's when it seems like it's basically everyone which it, it in a way it kind of was at Yorkshire like the amount of people that had to sort of turn a blind eye uh but then you you, you can make a difference just by like by, by making clear like if, if you're a, a club captain by making clear what what isn't is and isn't okay and and, and by you know because we, we were talking actually similarly with uh with Matt's question about uh segregation at clubs um that I think there's it's and it's 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 an uncomfortable question because there's no easy straightforward answer. But with sort of cricket's overall relationship with alcohol, and uh, obviously Azim was saying that you know his first uh, experience of alcohol was was awful, but then he was you know drinking. He felt pressured into it, but he was also it wasn't as if every drink from then on was being pinned down and poured into his mouth. But that kind of that pressure comes from an attitude of at some clubs, kind of every social event being revolving around this and for you know for, for that to be how you fit into the club is you have to be at these things and you can't properly be at these things without you know doing other things and that is that that's an example of one of the kind of things it's not just enough to call out discrimination that you have to be actively thinking like what are the barriers to you know to 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 to, uh, to people of other races playing at my club to, to women playing at my club what what are the things that are going to stop these uh sort of people from coming and to then make those actions rather than just kind of waiting for you to see something and then hopefully doing the right thing in a way I guess yeah I thought on on the issue of leadership I thought the the scenario of Alex Lees and Jason Gillespie having changed that uh, dressing room was one of the very few heartening things that came out of yesterday that actually in a relatively short period of time 
a significant change had taken place. And obviously Rafiq was in a good situation to see that, having been part of a dressing room, then come back to it, and then seeing, as he described it, becoming toxic under Andrew Gale and Gary Balance. And there really seemed... My mind kept drawing comparisons with the police force as I was watching Rafiq's testimony yesterday. This, this idea that whatever has happened, whatever has been said, whatever has been done, the most important thing is you defend your people, your your well, either your colleagues in a police force or your or your teammates at Yorkshire. And that was really, that seems to be, to me, the root of the, the whole thing in that, as Rafiq said, his first claims weren't of racism, they were of bullying. And that was obviously seen as snitching, effectively, that, that he'd gone and told on his teammates the club and, and they didn't like that. And from then on, he had a black mark against his name and he was clearly never able to come back from that. So whenever he made an allegation beyond that, and it wasn't racism for several years after that point that he, he, he um, framed it as or kind of worked it out in his head as. He was seen as an unreliable or at least... Um, a, a, viewed, with, viewed with suspicion. A troublemaker. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, a troublemaker is exactly it, a troublemaker. And and until, you, until we get away from the point where your first instinct is to protect your own, then we're not really going to change anything. And I mean, Tom Harrison yesterday was, it was, you know, put it in cricket terms, a, a poor performance. I thought it was... Uh, left a few out there, didn't he? <laughs> a few out there. Well, I'm not sure he's got them in him, to be honest. And this is the problem. I mean, he very rarely faces the media uh, because he it's just word salad. Uh, none of it really makes sense. And when he's getting asked some pretty pertinent questions and all he can blurt out is uh, inspiring generations over and over again. These words sound pathetic. They, sound, they I'm sitting there cringing. We know them because we know what they mean in in cricketing terminology and in ECB language. And they they obviously do stand for important things, but they don't cut it when you're standing, when you're talking to a bunch of MPs about something as serious as this, you can't just keep putting out mantras. Uh, so I, yeah, his, his position will be interesting. I don't know. There were suggestions a while ago that he might, he might be leaving anyway, that he might've had another job. I don't, I don't know where that, that stands, but you know, but given the seriousness of the questions, the ECB has to answer doesn't feel like as an impressive man at the helm to be dealing with them. The MPs criticised the ECB a lot yesterday for letting Yorkshire investigate themselves when accused of institutional racism. Do you think that's broadly fair? There was, yeah, uh, broadly, yeah. They are, they, they're the regulators, at, you know, in the afternoon and then the governors in the evening. There is a conflict there. In between those two terms the the ECB run the game uh the, the ECB could and should have at least been closer to that inquiry they should have had more overview of that inquiry um the makeup of the panel in that inquiry uh I don't think anyone could sit here and say that it was a purely independent inquiry and so the ECB by by definition of their role within the game, are therefore complicit. There was one moment when Harrison said, we trusted Yorkshire and we felt we got let down by Yorkshire. And I think with regards to the withholding of information, uh, I think there's probably an, a kernel of truth in there regarding regarding Harrison's point. Um, I certainly, from what I've gathered, having spoken to a few people off the record, the ECB were increasingly tearing their hair out um, when the delays and delays and delays and delays of the report and then only getting a redacted version of it and so on and so on. Um, but then it was kind of, 
a mess in part of their own making in the first place. You know, they should have had more gumption, I think. But this is exactly it. So it's, it's great if, if ECB employees uh, privately vent their frustration, but they're the, they're the ECB, they're the governing body. Like they showed what they what they can do at the end when they suspended Yorkshire International Cricket. That yeah. should have been on the table way, way sooner. Yeah. And um, it's, and if, it's, they were, if they were serious about y- Yorkshire's... Um, incompetent dealing of the investigation surely they, they should have threatened Yorkshire with that maybe even in the middle of the season make it like no come on this isn't good enough yeah and this is where the ECB's gestural politics collapse like a pack of cards because it, it's hard to separate um, Yorkshire's attempts to try and whitewash and, and throw, put it all under the carpet with the ECB's kind of tacit position as well it's hard to separate those two when it all starts to play out as it did yesterday Mm. Um, Nakul Pandey asks rather than another grassroots inclusion initiative is it simply time for cricket white people in cricket in particular to start working harder to make racism socially unacceptable to ostracise and isolate people who say or do racist things I'm before before I go to you Phil I'm quite wary of the word ostracising just because I, I, I keep going back to what Rafiq said about Hoggard yesterday if you read the written testimony that Rafiq gave um, the committee. Hoggard does not come across well. But in the hearing, Rafiq made it explicitly clear that he was really grateful that Hoggard rang him uh, without, not not because there was public pressure or anything, but there was a heartfelt apology. I am sorry, I got this wrong. That was a really think, moving moment. I think you've, you, 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 you've got to be so careful with how you deal with it. You want to make people comfortable then come forward. I want us to have an environment in which the current England team if they did hear and see racist language used in the dressing room, I want them to be comfortable enough to come out and say, I I saw this, I'm sorry I didn't call it out. If if players are banned for that, I don't think you get anywhere. I don't know what anyone else thinks. Yeah, and I, I think that in some ways, I think that extends across all walks of life that people get so uh, worried about being attached with a label and so worried about self-preservation that they end up actually, it, it becomes worse. So I, I think actually that, the, 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 there isn't that I don't think there often is unless you've been like you know hugely like you know racist like you've been raised for a, you know a, a sustained period of years if if there's like a couple of instances and, and you come out and apologize I think that people do recover from that and I guess we should also talk about Michael Vaughan I suppose uh, and you know obviously he denies he strongly denies having said uh, uh, you know the you lot comment I guess but it's it's now in a position where he you know, you know, it, and, and and you know, if he if he if he exactly remembers not saying it, which is it seems like a tough thing to remember, but okay, um, then maybe he has to stick to his guns. But if if he had said, you know, when he was about to be named in the report and it was about to be public, saying like, I don't remember saying it, but I believe Azim and I believe Radhan Avadar Hassan, and obviously Adil Rashid has come out and said now, and uh, and I apologise uh, for you know for, for having said something that made them you know feel excluded. That's something you recover from. Something you don't recover from is, you know, a a, a, a denial and 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 it's it's how you react. I think when the accusation is made, that I think defines you rather than uh, the thing that has happened ten years ago. Because that that is a, that is something that you know defined who you were then. What how you act now it defines who you are now. I guess absolutely. And I think compare, comparing it in the written testimony, the stuff that Hoggard is accused of is is probably worse. And Hoggard was was praised in the hearing. Phil, not not a great day for the PCA either. They came in 
for a fair bit of criticism from Rafik. Yeah, um, as I said earlier, it's 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 a great organisation in many ways. It does amazing work for professional cricketers, both current and past. Um, its pastoral care is often something to really be proud of within the game, uh, but the um, uh, but the remit, the PCA's remit, is to look after everybody within the game and to give equal support, which is great in theory, but as in Rafiq felt um, isolated and sidelined uh, by the PCA throughout this process, uh, and their, as I say, their kind of constitutional obligation to to give give equivalent support to both victim and perpetrator uh, has felt problematic and troublesome throughout this this episode. Um, and on that side, I just thought it was interesting. One of the MPs said yesterday, I can't recall exactly which one, said, you know, this happens in trade union disputes all the time. Yeah, yeah. You should be able to represent both sides as effectively as you possibly can without that having a detrimental effect on the other. So it's not, it, it doesn't add up for the PCA to use that as a defence. Well, that's it, it. It it basically it feels to me like the PCA kind of is, it was almost two separate things. It's a it's a kind of a charity, a charitable organisation which uh, trains cricketers for you know life after cricket and what happens if your career retires early, and also uh, takes care of cricketers who you know are affected by injury or by illness or and supports them after sport as well, and it does that bit really well. Uh, but as an actual union, I don't think it is. It, it, I think it rarely covers itself in glory. Really, I, th- I think you'd even look. So, I mean, obviously, they 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 were sort of a bit of kind of player power negotiations around the hundred. But I don't know if you could say that you know what 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 the players were concerned of there about uh, uh, you know big counties getting more power about it being beneficial to move to a big county about that damaging players who are at smaller counties. That that's a lot of that has kind of played out. Uh, and 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 obviously that's a very different thing. But I think it speaks to that the. PCA, especially because it's you know it's it's a very close organisation to the ECB, and I don't think you can be a union who are as close to the governing body as they are, basically. Yeah, you're right, um, and yet this is kind of how English cricket works. You know, the institutions bleed into one another, uh, and where the true power lies is often, as we've seen, quite muddy. Um, could I just go back to the question earlier regarding um, integration at grassroots level? Right. Um, And this, you might want to cut this because it might be folksy and irrelevant, but my own personal experience of club cricket uh, is one of playing for an overwhelmingly white working class cricket club in the 90s, which had across its four teams, one British Asian cricketer. And he was, as far as I could see, inducted into the setup, but was treated as a curio. Okay. As As, oh, we, we, we've got one and that was the subtext and our club was white and clubs up the road were Asian clubs and in my years of it, of playing there was never overt racist remarks that I heard in our dressing room but it was implicit there was an us and them element to it I was also reminded two nights ago from a player who I've played with for years at this club of an occasion at a sort of end of season do where a former legend of county cricket gave a rock solid half hour racist after dinner speech. Now, this would have been 20 plus years ago. Not that that's relevant. Um, That style of speech among the blokes 
with the booze, would have been playing out up and down the country at clubs with a certain kind of ethnic social demographic, if you like. That club that I talk of today has the same number of teams, has the same number of Colts teams, and also now has a women's team, which again would have been incomprehensible 20 odd years ago. And that club simply wouldn't exist in anywhere near the form that it does without the influx of British Asian cricketers, uh, which makes up, as we know more broadly, more nationally, 35% as conservative estimate. Um, that This club that I'm talking about would have gone, it would have finished. It would have finished. It would have died on its own ignorance. As it is, it's now a flourishing and powerful and actually rather sort of joyous place to be. And the I'm not being schmaltzy here, the integrated element of it is such a large part of what makes it good. And uh, there is no sense of dislocation between one group and another group. There just simply isn't. And there is also a number of young kids coming through who feel comfortable in that kind of environment. So when when we ask that corollary question of whether the game has gone backwards, whether the game is living still in the dark ages, then... My instinct is to think of that. And my instinct is to think of the MCC Foundation and the Lord's Taverners and Chance to Shine and the Refugee Council who we played against last summer and to to, to sort of hold with my fingertips to these kinds of stories where there are people away from the public eye who are still doing it, still trying to get it done, still trying to take the game away from its from its past into some kind of palatable future. Do you notice anything? What changed? How, how, how did that happen? What changed was necessity. That's what changed. But in the culture? So I did, were, were there individuals who started calling stuff out, for example? Well, I, I didn't play there for a number of years um, and went back to it and saw that the culture had fundamentally changed. Um, I don't know if it was directed by individuals, although... But it must have been, right? Yeah. It must have been. Uh, yeah, I, I just can't say that for sure. Yeah. Um, but, but this is going, going back to what I was saying earlier. I just think that we have now, we've just so clearly been shown that the powers that be just don't actually have the power that we assume they have. So, so it has, it to, come, on the has to come from every dressing room in the country. Exactly. And so it happens, it's too wishy-washy to say it happens organically, but that is the nature of race relations as well, right? It's, lived, it's one person's lived experience and another person's lived experience and then the collision of those two worlds. And then if you're lucky and if you have a heart and a soul, then it creates something positive at the end of it. Um, English cricket, my word, has to have a lot more collisions before it gets to that point. But at least yesterday felt in amidst the debris that there was some kind of hope that there was a confrontation taking place. Joe, a uh, question from friend of the show, Rupin. When Wisden first published the piece, did you see it snowballing to something of this magnitude or was that the hope? What, what, was, what was our expectation in August 2020? Uh, it's a really good question. I can't pretend for a second I, I saw it reaching this uh, level. Uh, I certainly didn't think there'd be questions from a bunch of MPs and it being on the front page of pretty much every newspaper. Yeah, I, d- I don't know what I thought. I, th- I think I thought that Yorkshire would address it in a way which allowed there to be some kind of resolution before it got to this stage. I think I was staggered when they said just no comment to us, which was the first line, and then subsequently banned us from speaking to their players, which now when you look back on it is just, 
it's insane. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely insane. ridiculous. I mean, obviously we were angered by it, but I, that's not my point really. It's just like that is how not to manage a situation. So I just think, and this this is the point, it, and we, we keep coming back to these things. You're talking about the, ex- the example of Hoggard, that an apology was made, it was accepted, it was gratefully received in the case of Rafiq. And to an extent, you can you can move on. You move on having learnt from that, but you can move on. Yorkshire have not allowed that to happen. So it snowballed absolutely as the result of their own behaviour or, or lack of action. Um, and obviously that it's got to this stage... I'm well it's an odd word to use given how awful it was yesterday and how harrowing but I'm delighted it's got to this stage and I think it is um one of our one of somebody wrote in earlier said it was one of the biggest days in English cricket's history I mean it's 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 amazing to have played a small part as an organization in in um triggering that triggering that effect yeah Um, I think it's really important to remember how it was it was completely ignored at the time when when we first covered it it didn't really get picked up anywhere. Uh, there was no statement from Yorkshire until uh, not just there was another interview with Rafiq in the Cricket Badger podcast and then still nothing. It was only when ESPN Cook Info reported it about a month later. Did Was there any action at all? Also, the response that we received initially, uh, I would say was generally supportive of Rafiq. But certainly as the story first broke, we got a bunch of emails saying... Uh, why are you giving Yorkshire all this stick? Leave it alone. It's a, it's politics. It's not cricket. It's not your job to be covering this stuff. We had a couple of people that um, threatened, I don't know if they did or not, to, to cancel their subscription. You know, good luck to them if they chose to do that. Um, that's fine by me. Um, but, but recently, um, other than one particularly venomous email we received a couple of weeks ago from a bloke who I can only assume is, is not well, um, we haven't had any of those emails and I think even those people who wanted at every stage to defend Yorkshire, to call out Rafiq, to, to kind of cast doubts on his personality, we've, we've now reached the point that no one no one can do that and that is Yorkshire's doing and it's um, Rafiq's doing in the most positive sense. Can I just add just as an aside, um, I went back and read something that I'd written from a few months ago when we did the diversity series in in WCM and... Uh, I interviewed Tim Lamb, who was the former chief executive of the ECB around the turn of the century. And at that point, um, an inquiry took place asking the question of institutional racism in English cricket. And uh, the findings were pretty damning. And Tim Lamb gave responses to it and, you know, invoked action plans and all the rest of it. And when I spoke to him, and this is not to call him out, although it does sound like that, uh, spoke to him and he was very nice and he was, you know, he's a long time out of cricket now. And when I spoke to him about it, he had no recollection whatsoever of the report, the inquiry even having taken place. And this was 20 years ago. Um, so if we, if we want just a glimpse into how complacently English cricket ignored these huge questions, how quickly the doors closed on it all, then that's a pretty clear one that the boss, the boss of English cricket at that time, can't even remember that inquiry having taken place. If we're looking for sort of tiny little kernels of optimism, then we're not. No one's running away from this one. Ben, you're not that optimistic. Things will change in the way that we might hope after yesterday at Yorkshire in particular. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the the, the question one one of the questions is where does Yorkshire go from here? And I think there's a couple of reasons 
I think that this could become an existential problem for the club. Uh, I think the the first, I mean, what the one of them is financial, one of them is kind of linked to the financial. So the first that is just financial is that obviously all the sponsors have pulled out, and I, I don't think as much as uh, that MP might wish that uh, Azim Rafiq is going to help them get their sponsors back. Um, uh, but I think that the uh, the financial problems could could it's going to get worse before it gets better because the story has gotten bigger since then, and because the ECB still haven't actually had their investigation. It's ridiculous it seems to say that. Uh, and that uh, for, for me, I think that the you know the withholding of international matches should be a uh, a first step. That's very much not the the end of of, of what the repercussions should be from a sort of a, an official point of view. I mean, you, you said in a podcast a couple of weeks ago that uh, you would feel very uncomfortable. Uh, going to Headingley for the first game of the next season. I think you'd imagine that uncomfortability would extend, uh, comfortableness would extend to, you know, all Asian cricketers in the UK. And uh, so even just from that, almost like a safeguarding point of view, I kind of foresee Yorkshire possibly being like expelled from competitions for the next year, possibly. And that then becomes a, a huge financial hole. The second thing is something linked to something I'd said earlier about, uh, you know, just how many people at the club have to turn a blind eye and at what point you can trust that the club is a, uh, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I, I know there's, there's Lord Patel in, in charge now who has sort of made, made all the right noises and spoke well yesterday as well um, at the DCMS hearing, but I think there will still be that lingering factor. But I think the most significant thing to be honest is something that was also discussed in the hearing yesterday, which is about the role of the Graves Trust still at Yorkshire. And uh, Roger Hutton, the former chair was saying that, he wanted to remove Martin Moxon, the director of cricket, and Mark Arthur, the uh, chief exec, who probably two people who've come out of this situation looking worst, I would say. Uh, and he was essentially blocked from doing so by the Graves Trust, who have loaned Yorkshire a huge amount of money and without whom Yorkshire would basically fail to be solvent. Uh, and I don't see that situation changing, essentially, that Yorkshire aren't going to stop owing the Graves Trust loads of money. So Graves Trust are not going to stop having that veto. And uh, and they are, you know, that, that is a trust that has had a, a, a huge negative impact on the handling of, uh, of, of this whole situation. And they will continue to be able to have that impact going forward. So I, I don't see how you can kind of trust that Yorkshire has changed while they still have uh, that loan out from the Graves Trust. And I don't see how they can still how they can not have that line up from the growth trust and exist. So I, I don't kind of see there's, there's so many, there's a lot of facts there, but I, but I don't see how, how Yorkshire kind of can t- almost continues to exist. Without, like I, I don't, I don't see what the solution is basically. What do you think needs to change for, for those kind of punishments that you allude to, to not come into play? Uh, I mean, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't really know. I mean, what, like I, I that, that's the thing. Like I, what would, what would satisfy you as doing enough to, uh, for Yorkshire, in your opinion, not to be banned from competitions to, to host international cricket again. Well, I mean, I mean, to, to some extent, the, the the banning I think should be punitive as well. I think that should just be a, a so I kind of like, like I think you know, I mean, they, they ECB relegated Durham for some like you know financial irregularities, and this you know dwarfs that. So I think that so should the punishment. Uh, and so I, I can't I, I I personally see that as a as a a. a, a necessary step in any case kind of thing to show this, the seriousness of what has happened um but uh i and i, and I you know i'm i'm not uh as someone who knows a huge amount of how uh, investments and loans work so i don't know how you how yorkshire disentangle themselves from the graves trust but that also seems like a uh, an insurmountable task basically so i don't have solutions i'm basically just outlining kind of 
what what I see the situations still with Yorkshire being, and uh, and that basically that I don't know what the solutions are essentially. Um, I'm, I'm not saying this is enough by any means, but you know the chairman's gone. The albeit he wasn't there, of course, when the first allegation was taken to them in 2018. But the chairman's gone. The chief executive's gone. Moxon and Gale. Gale is currently suspended pending an internal investigation and Moxon is off with a stress-related illness. Um, it's hard to see Gary Balance's contract being renewed uh, and it's hard to really see Gale and Moxon returning to their roles if they are, as they have been, fully implicated. So, um, Although Gary Balance has very recently signed a three-year deal, hasn't he? Sure, sure. So, but I, I'd be very surprised if he if he's batting three in any form of cricket in April, but I might sure. But do they need to sack him? Is what I mean. Yeah, and, yeah. and I think I think that point will come. Um, Kamlesh Patel is not is not the silver bullet, sure, but um, you couldn't ask for a better person, and they've lucked out getting him to be the figurehead now. Uh, and the consequences to English cricket of, in effect, kind of the the, the removal of, of Yorkshire, especially crucially when there are all kinds of cases that are going to be coming out that are going to echo the Yorkshire story. And sure, their whitewash element makes this all the more reprehensible, of course. But if we're talking about instances of bullying, instances of racism, instances of that kind of aggression in dressing rooms, then you're going to hear a lot of it. You've already heard stuff around Essex, um, as in Rafiq was asked to name other counties yesterday, and he named... Four or five counties. Statements are, are flooding in to, pe- to journalists' emails from Middlesex and North Hants and the rest. Um, we're going to see a lot more. And, I mean, <laughs> the nuclear response to all of this is what's left of county cricket. Realistically, I think efforts will be made to try and maintain some version of the status quo with a kind of constitutional... Um, <sighs> Yeah, focus on 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 a kind of future and a sort of glasnost approach, you know, where everything is out there and everything is fully investigated. At least that's the impression that English cricket as a whole is going to want to give. Very quickly, Phil, Tom Pearson asks, "What do you expect will happen when the issues at Essex? There are many similarities there with Rafiq's experience. Since we recorded the last pod, uh, Maurice Chambers' experiences of racism is, uh, during his time at the club have been made public in an interview with the cricketer." Yeah, well, it's, it's devastating stuff. Um, and there will be many more. Uh, I don't know the ins and outs of the appeals, of the sort of the process whereby the allegations were made. I believe, Joe, you might need to step in here, but I believe Chambers's mother complained to the club. Is that right? Yeah, he, he said he never personally made a complaint to the club, but when he told his mum what had happened to him, his mum went and complained to the club and the player uh, who had been accused was forced to apologise and then it was all considered done. But the I can't remember the specific allegations from that player, but they were pretty awful. Well, well yeah, I, he had I, to I continue to live with bits. the player. I don't want to repeat well. them because they're absolutely horrendous. Yeah. He had to continue to live with the player afterwards as well, uh, as in 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 the in the house provided to them by Essex. So we can't say it was, I guess, ignored in the way that Rafiq was, but it wasn't much better. It was still a pitiful reaction to uh, the, an incredibly serious incident. Yeah, the individual's no longer at the club. Um, there was a coach as well who was implicated in these these allegations, not just from Chambers, but from Sharif as well, who played for a couple of years in the early part of the century. Um, that coach, uh, 
is no longer there, but is still involved in the game. Um, retrospectively, what do Essex do regarding former employees who are no longer there? I don't know. Don't know what that... But don't know what they can do. Don't know what they can do, exactly. Um, can they... Can they open up further lines of inquiry for, 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 for previous players, many of whom may still have attachments to the club? Perpetrators may still have attachments to the club. I think that's absolutely the least they should should be doing. And from what I gather, they are in the process of doing that. Um, there is always that horrifying sense of the horse having bolted, of course. And then institutions try and desperately backtrack and, you know, reverse pivot and all of that. Uh, but the Essex story is of equivalent rankness, first of all, for sure, in terms of the allegations themselves. Um, there will be many others all around the country. I mean, Chambers himself said when he went up to North Ants, not quite as graphic maybe as as the story from Essex, but encountered prejudice, racism at North Ants as well. Alleged, alleged, of course. And again, as I say, it will just carry echoes up and down the country. Mm. Um, we're going to finish the show with the email that we started the show with. Uh, and it's that email from Ollie. I'm half Asian and a lifelong cricket fan and Rafiq's testimony brought me to tears. I'm thankful that he has had the bravery to come forward. I've always loved cricket and felt that despite or maybe because of its history, it has the potential to be a genuine force for positivity and reparation in the world. I feel like I've been naive looking at the England 2019 World Cup team and feeling proud of the diversity. My faith in the sport has taken a serious hit today upon learning just how rotten to the very core it is. Given how widespread racism clearly is in the professional game and that is only coming out properly now, surely every white player who plays professionally is a bystander who is implicated in this. If I, as a diehard fan, am questioning whether I enjoy the sport, past, present and future, in the same way as before, how can anyone from the outside look in and want to get involved? How will the young players and their parents and the various inclusive pathways feel? Can you provide any optimism on such a bleak and depressing day? I hope you're all doing okay reporting on this the whole time. Thank you for all your hard work, Ollie. Uh, thanks again for that amazing email. Um, well, I'll try and answer the, the final question. Can you provide any optimism? Uh, it's, is that we're moving somewhere? Um, that even when the powers that be within the game ignored it for as long as possible, uh, there was system in place in this country that held held them to account. I thought it was a powerful image yesterday seeing a cross-party group of MPs uh, equally dismayed at how uh, one of the country's biggest sports handled, um, mishandled this situation for such a long time. That is, that for me is is really positive and to be honest, not something I really expected. Anyone else? I mean, it's just in Azeem, right? In, his, uh, in the fact that, you know, there are those characters and uh, uh, that, that there was someone as, as courageous as him to speak out, to, to not let this issue drop and to and to take it essentially where it needed to be taken uh and you know azim is 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 special uh he's brave uh he's but i don't think he's he's quite unique i think there will be others to stand up and to drive similar uh i don't know conversations and then change you hope um i guess the the optimism is 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 there and hopefully to be found in in what we hope will come next but yeah it's a- I was just going to say there were, there were so many lines of Rafiq's that I noted down listening to him yesterday but one that really stayed with with me was him saying he wanted to be a, a voice for the voiceless and uh, he has done that 
fighting a lone hand so far, and we've seen over the last couple of weeks that though that the voiceless are no longer voiceless, and there are people who want to hear their stories, want to tell their stories. Those stories will be on the BBC Sport website, leading the way, not tucked away um, on cricket specialist websites like our own. And, and that's you know that's about the biggest thing he's possibly achieved, I think, uh, over the course of all this. Um, yeah, and. <laughs> There is no finally because obviously this is just the first of thousands of conversations that have to be had. But uh, ignorance, dressing room ignorance, hiding behind culture uh, that is so patently now being exposed to be wrong is no longer an excuse from an England player to a fourth team cricketer in a village or a or an urban area or wherever or to to a ten year old kid. This is this has been blown out of the water now. And ignorance is no longer any excuse. Mm. Um, we had initially planned this to be a 30-minute pod, and here we are in the 70th minute. Um, but we, we got through that. Cheers, Ben. Cheers, Joe. Cheers, Phil. Uh, I'm, I'm off next week. I'm in Fort William, so you'll be in Ben's... You lucky bastard. You'll be in Ben's able hands. Uh, this has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. Cheers. Podcast Network.